From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Uh, yes, Mr. Robert, thank you very much. It's me, Mike. Mike Davidson lives. Thank you for downloading this latest episode as the podcast gets rocking and rolling. Recording this on a late Wednesday night. Hope you're doing okay. Uh, man, kind of a bummer way to start things out. Uh, Jeff Beck, RIP. Dead at the age of 78, announced earlier this evening. Legendary guitarist uh, joined the Yardbirds after um, a young guitarist by the name of Eric Clapton left, I think, for Cream. Uh, then he would be joined by another pretty decent guitar player in his own right, uh, Jimmy Page. And then Jeff Beck would leave and uh, do the Jeff Beck group and some other things. And he just, he just got done, I think, last year touring with uh, Johnny Depp, <clears throat> I guess after uh, all the Amber Heard crap. <laughs> uh, he was on the road with Johnny Depp doing some guitar work for him. And that's a pretty good guitarist to have, but uh, no longer with us. Rock legend Jeff Beck got at the age of 78. Uh, also, R.I.P., and this one's just really hard to believe. TCU, Texas Christian University, 65 to 7, Monday night. Uh, Post mortem on that game, uh, Georgia just whooped their ass. There's no other way to say it. In fact, I think if uh, if Georgia hit 70 that game, uh, they would have had to dissolve the school next morning. Like there would be no more Texas Christian. Anyway. I think everybody knew that Georgia was going to be the favorite going into that game. Um, and, you know, te Texas Christian was obviously the underdog, and everybody was kind of pulling for him. But, I mean, if, if you were to think of a blowout, maybe 21 points or something, because they, they showed a lot of fight against Michigan, you know, uh, the previous game. And here it looked like one of those warm-up games at the beginning of the season where, you know, Georgia would take on, you know, uh, Sisters of the Poor or something like that. 65-7. to seven. <sighs> not, not a good look. But you know what? They, Texas Christian did get to the championship. And uh, aside from that controversial uh, butt landing uh, not touchdown, Michigan had plenty of chances to put them away the week prior. So, I mean, it is what it is, as frustrating as that sounds, as everybody hates that cliche. That's basically it right there. Uh, not the um, not the ratings blockbuster that ESPN was hoping for. In fact, they say this might be one of the lowest-watched college championship games in a while. Only 17.2 million uh, hung in there and watched this uh, this debacle uh, and I can't blame people I actually sat through it and uh, I cringed but then again I sat through uh, the 16 out of 17 Colts games this past year so yeah I know how that goes and uh, <laughs> no I didn't watch the Minnesota one the Minnesota one was the one I taped and uh, I saw at halftime oh they're up 33 nothing and then when I saw that they lost in overtime, I was like, no, I'm, I'm never, ever watching that game. Ever. Ever. Uh, but the post-mortem of the Colts season is um, Jeff Saturday still not fired. Uh, Chris Ballard still not fired. Uh, you know, Chris uh, Jeff Saturday kind of hemming and hawing about uh, how if he was head coach, he would lay out his plan and what they would do for the next few seasons. Chris Ballard saying uh, that he's leading the coaching search right now. 
And he goes, my job is to find the best candidate, but it's up to Jim Mercy to make that final decision. And uh, Jim Mercy is a drinking buddy of Jeff Saturday. And you know what, what pisses me off is not necessarily the fact that Jeff Saturday finished 1-7 because that was, it's pretty much expected, but he's not a good coach. There have been several instances uh, this past season where he proved not to be the coach. And yet if you go to some of these message boards with some of these Colts fans, uh, they're saying, well, he needs a second chance. He needs a second chance. Dude, he had historic collapse against the Minnesota Vikings in the game before. Uh, he was, his team was only down two, and the Cowboys racked up 33 points on him. And then they blew the game against the Texans this past Sunday. Finished 1-7. and seven. Seven-game losing streak. You can, you know, finger point to uh, Frank Reich all you want, and, oh, he didn't have the coaching and all that other stuff. He played with the same set that Frank Reich did, and Frank Reich had a better record than he did this past year. In fact, Frank Reich, uh, after he got fired, uh, basically had a 500-plus record with the Colts, considering that uh, he only had Andrew Luck for one year in a, a who's who of uh, would-be has been quarterbacks. So, yeah, don't keep Jeff Saturday. If you can get Sean Payton, if you can get Jim Harbaugh, at this point, if you can anybody that, uh, get anybody that's held a whistle for more than a season in a college college setting or pro setting, get them. I just I, I can't believe people are this dense when it comes to football. Not that I'm a f great football mind. I just know that... Uh, Hiring a guy who's only had coaching experience has been high school. Pretty much a dumbass move. Move on. I don't care if his name is in the ring of honor or whatever. Just move on from Jeff Saturday. He should not be the head coach. All right, uh, some better news. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, alive and kicking, of course. Uh, he was able to transfer to Buffalo from Cincinnati earlier this week. That's good. And earlier today, he was uh, discharged from the hospital in Buffalo, so he's no longer in the hospital He's, of course, breathing on his own, walking and talking on his own, eating on his own. Certainly good news. Glad to see it. Hopefully he makes a good recovery. And uh, you know, if he wants to play football in the future, great. If not, great. Because, as I mentioned before, it is his life. He should do what he's comfortable doing. Anybody should be doing that. Uh, but, you know, you know how, like, last week I was talking about, or not last week, last episode I was talking about uh, Jeremy Renner, the actor, uh, who got, got crushed by a snowplow now is in the ICU out in uh, Nevada. Uh, he um, was very gracious and uh, used to use social media to you know give a shout out to his family and uh, the medical professionals that pretty much saved his ass. Uh, Damar Hamlin doing a class act thing. Uh, he is doing a little fundraising with T-shirts uh, for the UC hospital. You know Damar Hamlin, a Buffalo Bill. Raising money for the hospital in Cincinnati that saved his ass. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, this is, like, with, with athletes and uh, actors, you know, with social media, this is what they should be using this crap for uh, instead of um, the political rants. I know, the guy with the podcast is uh, ranting about political rants. Uh <laughs> But they should be doing this kind of stuff. Um, I, it's a little more inspiring, and uh, it, it just kind of proves that, hey, maybe that not, not all athletes, not all actors are stuck up. Pretty cool. All right. Um, wanted to weigh in on this whole Bernie Kosar thing. Um, 
he's no longer employed with you know he's a legend with the uh, Cleveland Browns uh, and he was employed uh, with a radio network he was fired I think after their last game this past Sunday because uh, uh, they were taught I think it was the game against the Steelers and he said that he was going to put down a $19,000 bet on the Browns and that uh, if he won all the proceeds would go to charity, which is admirable, but it's also a major faux pas because apparently it violated the um, the gambling rules and regulations of the National Football League. And you, I can't really defend it um, because it is a bad look when a broadcaster, when somebody involved with the National Football League, is making an active bet on television, on radio, whatever. You know, it sucks that he had to get fired. You know, maybe maybe a suspension would have been better because, you know, it is Bernie Kosar, and he's loved out in Cleveland. But but kind of sort of in his defense, it's it's a little weird that a league that's take, actively taking um, gambling app revenue from places like FanDuel, which is, I think, an official gambling app of the NFL, uh, to, to condemn a guy for gambling. And, like, if you've been watching um, NFL on CBS, you know, right before the big uh, the 1 o'clock kickoff, you know, you'll have Boomer and um, <clears throat> Sims, Phil Sims, make their picks for the upcoming game for FanDuel. Now, they don't say, okay, I'm going to put my money down. That, that, that's kind of a workaround. They say, well, you know, my if I'm going to pick somebody, it's going to be Cleveland over Pittsburgh. Okay, they don't say, I'm going to put a $19,000 bet down and so Bernie Kosar offering up his money for this okay I mean I, I get it it's not a good look but the NFL is kind of playing with fire right here so for him to get outright fired for this I don't know maybe I, I would have gone with like a slap on the knuckles whatever but no longer employed with the Cleveland Browns all right well speaking of grounded earlier today big national story bunch of airplanes I think all airplanes at one point grounded by the FAA uh, due to a glitch, a cyber glitch uh, that they uh, maintain is not hacking, whatever. No, 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 no. Either either it was hacking or maybe just the, the system's antiquated, but uh, basically like a corrupted file somewhere in the main program and the backup program. You know, they, they talk about how like things are supposed to get easier in the future, like in the future, you know, your cars will do this. You'll be able to do that. Hell, we've got we've gotten to the point where we're so lazy that we have uh, microwaves that off, operate off of uh, QR codes. Yeah, I, if you've seen the infomercial, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't think flying at all has gotten better in the last 30 years. Now, keep in mind, I have not flown in a commercial plane for over 10 years. I haven't had the opportunity or the reason to go flying in a plane. Um... But, you know, I can tell you that the wait time is long uh, to get on the plane. Sometimes it's long to get off the plane. And so then you look at this story about um, this glitch, and you're wondering, well, how the hell does this happen? Especially when uh, everybody was given Southwest Airlines crap for their antiquated system a few weeks back with uh, some of the bad weather and Christmas travel. Uh, you, you have a national incident, not just involving one airline here, but... Uh, just seems like airline travel has regressed and i keep seeing these stories about how it's regressed and this glitch 
you know, in these in these uh, times of uh, wonderment and futuristic expectation, this grounds a whole bunch of planes. All right, um, I was reading something. I'm, I'm actually I started reading the book All About Me by Mel Brooks. Uh, great read. Uh, so far, I've gotten to like the first 130 pages. It's a 400 page book. Um, but uh, it kind of got me thinking when I saw this um, and I saw the numbers for the Golden Globes, which apparently were on last night. Remember, they were on Tuesday night. Who knew, right? Um, but it, it got me thinking about pop culture. Because uh, before Mel Brooks cut his teeth as a film director, and you know, he, he, you know, he did some comedy and stuff, uh, he was a writer for Sid Caesar, who was a big television star back in the 1950s. And you know, he had the Your Show of Shows, and this was a show that it brought in the tight likes of uh, Carl Reiner, who would also become a collaborator with Mel Brooks and have success on his own. Uh, Woody Allen, um, the showrunner for Mansion, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, and uh, Neil Simon, who went on to be a pretty impressive playwright. I mean, you know, Sid Caesar had some great writers around him, and he was a funny dude. Uh, but Mel Brooks was talking about how weekly, every Saturday night for 90 minutes, there were 60 million people watching Sid Caesar. This wasn't a series premiere, mind you. This wasn't a series finale. This was every saturday night 60 million people watching now there was no such thing as internet there was no such thing as cable television there was just the three television networks it was easier to corral a bunch of eyeballs and uh, get people talking around the water cooler monday or maybe uh, a little under the breath at church sunday because you know sometimes those jokes got a little uh, I don't know about racy, but, you know, not, not the type, type of stuff you talk about in church, right? But 60 million people watched Sid Caesar, a show that Mel Brooks wrote for in the 1950s. Now, looking at uh, the numbers from the Golden Globes this past Tuesday, 6.3 million people. That is a record low. And keep in mind that uh, they were off last year because they weren't televised uh, due to some... Um, diversity training thing i think yeah i think everybody at the golden globes had to go to diversity training that year so that's why it wasn't on television um but 6.3 million viewers for an award show that's supposed to celebrate uh, the foreign press's uh, you know uh thoughts on uh, television and movies now there's a lot of reasons for that and i'm sure a lot of it has to do with politics but it got me thinking does pop culture really exist as a term today popular culture because everything is so fragmented you don't have people you don't have 60 million people on a weekly basis watching a television show if you get 25 million people to watch the super bowl anymore that's impressive i mean hell, i just told you that the uh, the college national championship only had 17.2 million people watching um, and of course it sucked and there probably been a few more eyeballs, but even if it was good, like what, 25 million, 30 million, maybe I'd still be, uh, if lucky half of your show of shows. And it's just, it just kind of shows you that because of the internet, because of streaming platforms and because, well, you know, it's, this sounds old now cable, but, uh, you know, you got Pandora and Spotify, even when it comes to music and podcasts, 
just how diverse entertainment has gotten. There's more selection, but the downside of that is now that you have access to so much, not any there isn't anything that can be as popular as it once was. Does that make any sense? Because basically everything is fragmented. Yeah. And Golden Globes, I mean, 6.3 million, uh, you know, and it was like uh, only like uh, 6.8, I think, 2021, but 18 million in 2020. But uh, that was just before the pandemic really got roaring, and uh, that did a number. And what people would watch in terms of uh, pop culture, in terms of whatever. There weren't nobody was going to the movie theaters. There's nothing to talk about. The only thing we could talk about during the pandemic was, uh, oh look how empty the sports stadiums look in uh, Tiger King's on Netflix. That was basically it. That was it. Another uh, thing that kind of brings me up to this uh, little bit of pop culture rant here: uh, Jimmy Fallon. Remember him? Used to host the Tonight Show. Uh, he still does. You just forgot that he still hosts the Tonight Show because nobody's watching. Uh, he took over for Leno years back. And when Jimmy Fallon took the reins of the Tonight Show, he had 11 million viewers, which isn't a bad number for late night. But uh, about a year and a half back, he signed a, a five-year extension worth $80 million. And nightly, now, 1.3 million viewers jesus that's a tenth just a, just a little over a tenth of where he was you know when he took over for leno uh you know in uh fox fox news has the greg gutfeld show and that's on cable you know you think okay there's more houses with access to nbc because it's over the air broadcast than fox news but he's double those numbers greg gutfeld is beating jimmy fallon and again, because we have so many late night shows and other options, yet it doesn't drive eyeballs anymore. There isn't anything too totally popular. And you know, and, you know, kudos to Gutfeld, but two point six million, if those are his numbers, I mean I mean that's it's not like Johnny Carson numbers. Again, pop culture isn't pop culture like it used to be because not everybody's watching the same things. Not everybody is listening to the same things. It's a very interesting world we live in. But 1.3 million after having 11 million. Jimmy, uh, tonight's show. Uh, you, you remember when uh, Conan O'Brien got kicked off for having shit ratings? Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder there, huh? All right, uh, attention horror update. Prince Harry, uh, he, what's the name of the... Uh, the book, uh, self copy, uh, spare, spare. That's what it is. Yeah, it's just uh, he's out there, you know, bashing the royal family because that's what what he does. And by the way, I feel really bad, uh, guilty even because uh, last night I was in the living room with my son on my lap and I was watching uh, Wayne TV here at Fort Wayne. And that's the CBS affiliate. And I, I, I like it, and I, but usually after the news, I change it or turn it off. I dozed and slept until um, CBS This Morning was on this morning. Like, I was out for like eight or nine hours. I was just tired, deadbeat. But the thing was, is I slept with Stephen Colbert on. And I guess Colbert had Harry on his show. And if I was awake... That wouldn't have been on. I would have turned that off immediately. But unfortunately, I became the unwitting 
rating point for that interview. He's out there, you know, whoring the book out. It's available now. And he's talking about how life sucks, you know, how, like, um, you know, uh, Megan, or, or not Megan, uh, uh, the the one that William's married to, Kate. William and Kate made him dress up as a Nazi or something, uh, you know, other things. I, he even was bitching about, uh, you know, Camilla uh, letting out, because he wasn't a big fan of her and Charles. And I'll give him some points there because I'm not a big fan of that couple either. Uh, but he, he was bashing her in his new book for her leaking secrets about the family. And I'm sitting there going, really? Really, Harry? This, I mean, that, and you know, getting back to the uh, the old point from the other episode that uh, I was hitting on, Harry and Meghan are professional victims. I mean, they already had the Oprah interview. They already have the Netflix show. Now he's got the book. What are they going to do next? I think she's got a podcast. I don't know. I don't listen to it. I'm sure people do. And the sad thing is is people are going to read this book about Prince Harry. You know, and all of his tumult and all this stuff. You know, the nice thing about uh, the last couple of biographies, autobiographies I've read, you know, one of uh, Mel Brooks and the other one of Dave Grohl, is uh, not a lot of bitching. And, you know, these, these guys have different worldviews than I do. And there's not a lot of politics in these books that I'm reading. A lot of it just happens to be about the stuff they love to do. You know, Dave's a musician. Mel's a comedian. Uh, and a writer and a director. And, they, you know, they talk about their stories about all these people they know and things they did, on, you know, on the road, behind the sets, uh, you know, and some of the, you know, creative influences they had. Very interesting stuff. You know, they talk a little bit about their families, but uh, they don't bash their families. This is all Harry's book is. And what would I be learning if I bought this book? Think about that for a minute. What would you learn about the dude if you bought this book? How would you apply it to your life? I, I, I just can't imagine anything like that. You know, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, his life sucks, and, you know, being in the royal family sucks, but whoring out all of your pain and disappointment all the time gets kind of old, doesn't it? You know, never be that guy. Never be that guy. <sighs> it's it, it's. They're going to run out of things to, you know, pimp. They're going to have to find some other discomfort. And believe me, when I see Harry and Meghan in the houses that they live in or hang out in, I don't think they're hurting financially, and I think they're a little better off than most people. My two cents. Uh, one guy that's better off than most is Francis Ford Coppola, great film director. Um, you know, he's you know got a great filmography. Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Apocalypse Now. I mean, there's some other films in that mix too, but you know, just those three alone are worth noting because uh, just just to have one of those films on your filmography is a chef's kiss. That's a friggin' hat trick right there. Um, but he's kind of sort of out of um, retirement here, 83 years old, and he's trying to put together this movie called Megapolis, which I guess deals with uh, New York City. Uh, dealing with a natural disaster and this architect comes in and tries to save the city, make it better again. You know, kind of like uh, Metropolis. Um, 
That's what I thought it was at first. Like Metropolis was like this old Fritz Lang uh, movie from the twenties, black and white, silent film, kind of goofy to look look at now. But for its time, it was pretty cool. Um, but Mega Megapolis kind of has that vibe. It looks like. But it also has kind of that vibe that uh, it could bomb. And I'm not talking like James Cameron. Uh, I need two billion dollars to uh, make break even when he clearly does not need two billion dollars to break even. Anyway, um, but uh, like uh, he's spending, Francis Ford Coppola is spending like 120 million dollars out of his own damn pocket. Um, you know, so he's financing this, but uh, the special effects team isn't meeting his standards. Uh, they've walked out. They're saying that this film is in disarray. So this could be the debacle we were kind of hoping for with uh, Don't Worry Darling, which I think everybody just forgot existed. Because I don't think it was up for any Golden Globes, was it? I don't think, yeah, again, I would, have, I would have had to watch the show. Um, but uh, it just uh, it just seems like Francis Ford Coppola is one of those odd perfectionist types, not quite to the level of a Stanley Kubrick where he makes cast members cry, but, um, you know, things just have to be so, so on point. Uh, if you watch the offer on Paramount Plus, you, you kind of get a glimpse of that, you know, with Godfather and how he would drive producers uh, crazy behind the scenes trying to get what he wanted for the movie and ultimately got a lot of what he wanted for the movie and it worked out. A lot of it did. And then if you uh, know the backstory of Apocalypse Now and how... Um, how crazy that movie was. Like, he fired Harvey Keitel. He brought in Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen has a near-fatal heart attack. Uh, there's hurricanes. There's political riots. Marlon Brando doesn't know shit because he's, you know, Marlon Brando. And I guess Coppola lost a lot of weight and was suicidal. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola, just for a guy that enjoys making movies, seems to invite chaos. And maybe that's maybe his last hurrah here. He's 83. And maybe in the back of his mind, is like, you know... I hadn't had to F up a movie for a while. I haven't had to do an F'd up movie for a while. Let's just see what happens here. Um, but uh, he's already burning through his own cash to make this thing happen. I don't think there's going to be the audience for it, a la like James Cameron, who uh, could be egotistical as hell and still have his fan base. <sighs> but, you know, if, if it bombs, it would be a, kind of a sad um, sad end to a uh, an otherwise brilliant career for Francis Ford Coppola. It wouldn't diminish anything that he's done before. It's just a lot of people might be like gritting their teeth when they see the final product, if it happens. But yeah, people walking off the set. Uh, not a good look. Uh, and uh, finally, let's wrap up with some good news, bittersweet news here. Foo Fighters 2023 are hitting the road, doing a bunch of shows. I think they're doing uh, uh, Sonic Temple out in uh, Ohio. Uh, they're doing Bonnaroo down in Tennessee and a few other dates. The thing is, who will be the drummer for the Foos? Because, uh, you know, as you know, big sticks to hold now that Taylor Hawkins is gone. And some people said Dave Grohl, but as you know, being a lead singer and drummer at the same time, kind of a hard task to do, especially as frantic as uh, the drums are for Foo Fighters. Um, and Dave's a great drummer, and Taylor was a great drummer. You, you can you can name some bands like okay Phil Collins Genesis, uh, Don Henley from the Eagles, but those aren't like those bands aren't built like Foo Fighters, so you can kind of get away with doing a little bit of drumming, 
and not like uh, you know drown out your vocals. But a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting names have been floated. Josh Almy from uh, Queens of the Stone Age, uh, who can play multiple instruments. So I, you know, him and Dave are tight. Um, also, one I really liked, and uh, this was the guy that introduced Foo Fighters into the rock or inducted Foo Fighters in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stuart Copeland of the Police. Um, who is one of those guys that you don't think of great, as great drummers, but if you go listen to his stuff, fantastic. I, you know, he's he's old now. You gotta wonder if he could do the drumming that's required for Foo Fighters. Uh, but if he could pull that off, that would be amazing. But I, deep down, I think they're going to do kind of a rotation of drummers until they can pick somebody to finally sit behind the kit. I just think um, you know it does take stones to do what they're doing just a year after losing Taylor Hawkins. But given how Taylor Hawkins threw himself into music, I don't think he would have had it either any other way. And uh, if, if you read, going back to the whole biography thing, uh, Storyteller from uh, Dave Grohl, for about a year after Nirvana and, and how that fell apart, Dave hid in Ireland. He hid from people. And then, you know, he went back to the States, started recording some stuff, demo that would become Foo Fighters, and he actually got invited to a jam with Tom, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on SNL, live television audience, got offered the gig to be the full-time drummer for uh, Tom Petty, turned it down because uh, he, he felt like he still had some stuff to do at the age of 25. And it doesn't have anything to prove now, but it's just, it just goes to show you when bad things happen, it's better to get go on, press on, than it is to uh, to hide and to um, and to fear the future or lack thereof. That's what I'm getting at. But uh, Foo Fighters, congrats to them. Hopefully, a few more years of touring from those guys. That's it for me. Until next time, stay fresh. To You've me. been listening to Mike Davidson live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at Facebook.com/backslashmDavidsonLive. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.